the war room. Where is the war room? The war room is in the presence of God. Okay? You cannot pray and have your answers pray, and prayers answered unless you're in the presence of God. Okay? So, what I'm going to show you today from Scripture is how to get to the war room. How to get into the presence of God. Because what most of us do is we try to get in the war room, but we haven't done it God's way. God has showed us how to get there, but man always tries to do it his own way with his own ideas instead of doing it like God showed us how to do it. And I'm going to show you in Scripture today how, that, uh, is going, how you can do that. Okay, let's start with the Ark of the Covenant. Hey, how many of y'all seen Raiders of the Lost Ark? Okay, all right, now we're connecting. All right, the Raiders of the Lost Ark is a fictional story, but the Ark of the Covenant was a real piece of furniture, okay? And Raiders of the Lost Ark, Hitler's looking for it because he wants to have all of these artifacts so he has power, so he can, um, uh, you know, have some kind of power over the armies. And he, I think he was actually trying to do stuff like that. But anyway, the Ark of the Covenant, to understand my message today, you're going to need to understand what the Ark of the Covenant is. So let's, let's go back to the beginning. Let's lay our foundation. This is what we're doing here. Try not to go to sleep at this part. Because if you miss this part, you're not going to get the end. Okay, first thing. Children of Israel are in Egypt, right? Moses leads them out of Egypt. And where do they go to? Right. And what was in the wilderness? A big mountain. Mount Sinai, Right? Moses goes up on the mountain, and what does he get? The Ten Commandments and all other regulations. But there's a very special thing that he also got. He got the, the layout of the tabernacle. Okay, this is very important. The tabernacle was Israel's worship center, similar to what church is today. The tabernacle was God's worship center. Listen to Exodus 25.8. They are to make a sanctuary for me so that I may dwell among them. Who had ever heard of such a thing in history where the God of the universe is going to dwell among a nation? That His presence will go with that nation wherever they go. Who's ever heard of such a thing? That's amazing. Now, let's think for a minute. If God is real... Because most people live like God isn't real. So let's assume that He is real. Okay? <laughs> All right, no laughs on that one. Okay, I'll keep working on it. Okay, I think God is real just for the record. All right, let's assume God is real. Then wouldn't He try to reach down and communicate to humans? You would think, so many people say, why doesn't God just show up and do something? Why doesn't He just reveal Himself? Let me explain something to you. The Scripture is the greatest testimony the world will ever have. You don't need any more than this. God has sent the message over and over and over. But guess what? The way that He dealt with the Israelites is the same way He deals with us today. He didn't change His methods. And that's what we're going to learn today. Look up here. Here's the tabernacle. This is what it would have looked like. All right? So there's curtains around the outside. I know this is getting sleepy. Hang in there. Hang in there. The curtains. 
There was curtains all the way around, and then it was an open space up to the heavens. There was one door in, or I should say one way in, one way out, not multiple ways. The first thing you would have come to was the brazen altar. All right, This is where they had kept a perpetual fire, and they would place their offerings on top of the altar. Okay. Next thing they go to is the laver of brass. Okay. The laver of brass was just like a big bowl where they could wash their hands and feet before they went into the holy place. Okay. Now remember, this is God's prescribed method of how to enter His presence. Okay, the next thing you come to is the holy place. Now, the holy place was covered. It was, it was no, the roof was not open. It was closed in. All right, and then you had three pieces of furniture in there. If you come straight in, you had the altar of incense. To the left, to the left, you would have had the menorah, which is the seven lampstand. Then across from that would have been the table of showbread where you actually sit literal bread on top of a table. All right. Then there was a curtain separating them, and then you went into the most holy place. Okay. And there is where the Ark of the Covenant is. Okay. What is the Ark of the Covenant? The Ark of the Covenant was a symbol of God's throne. Where does God dwell? Between the cherubims, if we read in Revelation, there's four cherubims around him all the time singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. 24-7. Okay? What was on top of the Ark of the Covenant? Two cherubims with their arms. And God said, I will meet with them between the cherubims. You, when you got into there, it was symbolically saying, you're entering into God's throne. Okay, now we're that far. All right? Let's see, what's next? So, what I'm going to show you today is that the same way that God told them how to get into His presence is the same thing we have to do today. If you want to enter the war room, you don't slip under the curtains and come in. God says, ah, 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 ah. You don't do that. You have to go God's way, and that's where man has the problem. Because man wants to do it his way. Could you flip those lights back on, please? Um, so, because remember, that was the temple. That was the place of worship. Where is the temple now? Exactly. You are that temple. And you will see in your Christian life that every one of those pieces of furniture symbolize your Christian walk with God. Alright, are you ready for this? We just laid the foundation. Now we're getting started. Hello? Hello? All right. What's next? Turn the page. All right, let's flip to, I should have said this already, 1 Samuel chapter 7. Flip to 1 Samuel chapter 7. Flip to 1 Samuel the seventh chapter. If you have a Bible, use it. I encourage that. Make notes, underline stuff, but I always use a pencil because sometimes I learn something else and I have to erase it. Okay? I do not have ultimate revelation. It comes to me as I go. All right? So, but use it. This is your greatest weapon. What did Paul call it? The sword of the Spirit. If you have a sword, you have to know how to use it. It does you no good 
if you don't know how to use it. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. This is the greatest weapon you have. All right. Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 1. All right. Follow along. So the men of Kareth Jerahim, I probably didn't say that right, came for the ark of the Lord and took it to Abinadab's house on the hill, and they consecrated his son Eleazar or Eleazar to take care of it. Okay. What jumps out at you right there? Where is the Ark of the Covenant supposed to be? In the tabernacle. Where was the tabernacle at at this time? Shallow. That's right. All right, so let me explain to you how it got to this place. All right, so the children of Israel, they're going out to fight a battle against the uh, Philistines. And... um, They lose. They lose about 4,000 men. They say, why has God let us be defeated? Okay. Then, what happens? They have a great idea. They say, let's take the Ark of the Covenant with us, and then we'll win the battle. Well, guess what? They lost even bigger. They lost 30,000 men. Not only that, the Philistines capture the Ark of the Covenant, and their three priests die on the same day. It is not a good day. Do you think God is trying to send them a message? Hello. Okay. Three of them die in a day. Then one of, uh, one of the priest's wife has a baby, and she names it Ichabod, which means the glory of God is gone. Okay. If God pulls away his glory from you or from the war room, then there's a problem. And there's a reason he has done that. That's where we're at, so many Christians. We go out, we want to serve the Lord, we want to work for God, but we fail. Or nothing happens. It's like I go to church over and over and over, nothing happens, my life stinks. Why is that, God? Why is that? You're not doing it His way. You're not doing it His way. If you want the presence of God in your life, You do it God's way. He does not compromise. We do, but he does not. All right, so it's at this guy's house. All right, let's look at verse 2. Time went by until 20 years had passed since the ark had been taken to Kiriath Jeremim. Okay, the ark of the covenant is outside of the tabernacle for 20 years. Does anybody care? Does anybody give a hoot? Think about that. They were supposed to worship. They had feasts they were supposed to do every year. They had sacrifices they were supposed to bring every year. The house of God has been neglected for 20 years. Now, how many of us do that? I'm talking to the Christians, not the unsaved. You're saved and you neglect the temple. You just let it lie. And the longer you lie, the easier it is. You become calloused. You become... What's the word? You don't care. Complacent. That's a good one. That's what happens to so many Christians. They neglect it. They give up. They don't care. They let it go. But what happens? Something in your life happens. Something bad 
that pushes you to make a decision to seek the Lord. Now, in their case, it's the Philistines, as we're going to see. Philistines are persecuting them, and they get tired of it. God will put stuff in your life to make you uncomfortable if you're His child. All right, now here is the dangerous part. If you are living in sin, Christian or not, either one, and you are happy and your life does not stink, you are in the most dangerous spot you could possibly be in. Why is that? Because God disciplines His children. If you're not His child, He's not disciplining it. Here's a newsflash. When, the, when all these politicians say, we're all God's children, yes, we're all God's children, He has not read His Bible. Read John chapter 8. He called the religious leaders a brood of vipers, of your father the devil. Everybody is not God's child. And if you're living in sin, directly out of the will of God, if you're not keeping the Ten Commandments as best as your ability, and you're happy and you're making money, you're Donald Trump, I couldn't go the whole service without saying it. That's all I'm going to say. And everything's going good then you got a problem because when the children of Israel were in Egypt, what happened? At first they go down there, they're in the land of Goshen, they're raising livestock, having a good time. What happens? God puts a burden on them. He puts them in slavery. Why? To push them out of the place that He did not want them to be. He wanted them in the land of Canaan, and He did not leave His child in Egypt in the world. Let me tell you something, folks. God will get your attention if, he's your, if you're His child. How does He do it? Alright, look what happens. Go back to verse uh, 2. Then the whole house of Israel began to seek the Lord. There it is. They've let it sit for 20 years. Something stirs their hearts. And to get into a theological thing here, we know by Scripture that it's God that's producing the... Repentance. That's a whole other story. For this conversation, something happens and they begin to seek the Lord. They begin, the King James says, lament, weep. They're sorrowful. Okay, when you seek God, He is going to give you an answer. He will give you an answer. Guarantee. All right? He's going to give you an answer. But then, when you get the answer, what are you going to do with it, Wesley? What are you going to do with it? See, we don't like sometimes what God says, but that's where the faith part comes in. Do you believe that God is real and that you're supposed to do it His way? Is He really real? Or do you say, ah, that's going to kind of mess up my life. I had the same plan Saturday. I got this adulterous relationship I'm in. You know, I like to party on the weekends a little bit. So, hey, don't hold it against a brother, you know? Right? But, but look, faith requires you to make a decision. Faith requires you to do something about it. So here's the thing. They seek the Lord, and guess what happens? They get an answer. All right, let's go to verse 3. Guess who comes up? Samuel. He's a bad man. He loves the Lord, and he serves the Lord all his life. Samuel says, If you are returning to the Lord with all of your heart, get rid of the foreign gods the Asherah poles that are among you, dedicate yourselves to the Lord and worship Him only, then He will rescue you from the hand of the Philistines. Think about that. 
So he gives them the answer. Guess what he tells them, folks? He tells them exactly what is in the tabernacle, and I'm going to show you that. He tells them exactly. The, the prescription did not change. It's the same. All righty, let's see. First, the brazen altar, the first thing you come to. That's where they took their sacrifices, put them on the fire, and they burned it up. Guess what that's a symbol of? The cross. You bring your sin offering and you place it on that altar. You don't go any further in until you do something with your sin. Separation. He says, put away from you the gods. And, you know, they're breaking the first four commandments right off the bat. God says, separate yourself from your sin. Separation. When you come to the cross, you have to do something about your sin or you don't go any farther. You confess your sin. You turn from your sin and turn to God. So not only are you being separated from sin, you're being separated unto God. Okay? So the first thing he says, separate yourself. All right, for the Christian, next thing you come to is a laver of brass. Notice both of these uh, pieces of furniture are brass. Every time you see brass in Scripture, it is a symbol of judgment. Jesus shows up in the first book of uh, first chapter of Revelations. Guess what his feet was made look like? Brass. He was judging the seven churches. Okay? When you see brass in Scripture, it's judgment. Next thing you come to is the laver. This is where they had to wash their hands and wash their feet. Folks, after we become a Christian, we still sin. I mean, some of y'all might not, but I do. Right, Jessica? Um... And you have to continually purge yourself. What did Paul say? Ephesians 5.26 Washing of water by the word. There's your scripture. We have to continually, as part of our sanctification, continually purge yourself of sin. Continually purging yourself of sin. Separation from sin. That's your first two items. Then what did Samuel say next? He said, worship God. The King James Version says, serve. Let me stay on that word for a minute. Serve. You know what serve means? Work. You have to work at worship. You have to work to get here to church and get 50 kids ready, get in the door, everybody's screaming, but it takes work. It takes work to read your Bible. It takes work to pray. Think about it. The... the, <laughs> the uh, The, the Christian life was not made for the lazy. It's as simple as that. God does not condone laziness nowhere in the Bible. And He is not for a free meal either. He requires you to work. Alright? So then, you get through the first two things. Separation. Then you get in the holy place. Guess what you get to do in the holy place? Worship. Straight ahead. The altar of incense. Guess what that's a symbol of? Your prayers. Okay? To the left, the seven lamp menorah. Guess what that's a symbol of? The Holy Spirit. In the book of Revelation, he said there were seven lamps in front of the altar. I mean, in front of the throne of God. And it's the Holy Spirit. Worship in spirit and in... Thank you. And across from that, the table of showbread. What was that made? Uh, bread. It, right, the Bible again. Instead of the Bible being where you're purging yourself of your sins, then it becomes communion. 
sharing a meal with your buddy. Okay? Studying God's Word and having a meal with your buddy. Golly, can you see this? Are you not excited? This blows my mind. When I first started figuring this stuff out, I was like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. It's like he's real or something. You know, you go into the holy place and worship, but you're still not to the throne. Okay? Guess what comes next? The throne of God, the Ark of the Covenant, the symbol of God's throne. Think about that. That's where the blessing comes. Separation, worship, then the blessing, God's presence. Okay, let's go here. Um, Let's see how the Israelites responded. Verse 4. So the Israelites removed the bells and the Asherah poles. This is false worship and only worshiped the Lord. They, They followed the prescription according to what Samuel said, which is the same way God has done it from Adam and Eve all the way to the millennial kingdom. There we go. All right, verse 5. Samuel said, Gather all Israel at Mizpah, Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord on your behalf. See, now we're getting to the praying part. Where do you pray at? In the holy place, in the presence of God. See how the progression is here? All right. He says, Then I will pray on your behalf. When they gathered at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out in the Lord's presence. Do you know what Mizpah means? It means lookout. This would have been a place where you could see, where you could get a panoramic view. When you get into the Lord's presence, you receive vision. You receive understanding. You receive intellect. You receive knowledge. Do you see what I'm saying? When you get into the Lord's presence, you get beyond yourself. Why? Because you're in contact with the one that created everything. Assuming He's real, right? Is He real or not? Alright. That was a good answer. Um, so there at Mizpah, the place of the lookout. And it says they gathered together and they drew water and poured it out in the Lord's presence. What they're saying there is they poured out water. That's like a symbol of their heart. Humility. When you get in the real presence of the Lord, you go, you get humbled. Look at every time these prophets got in the real presence of God. Uh, Isaiah says, he sees them, the throne of God, and he says, I am a man of unclean lips. Among unclean people. He realized his sin. When you meet God, what happened at Mount Sinai? That thing was on fire. God spoke from heaven at Mount Sinai. Do you realize that in studying for this? God literally spoke the Ten Commandments in their hearing. Guess what they said? Stop! They couldn't take it anymore. They were freaking out. When you get in God's presence, your sin becomes real. That's why you need Jesus because you will never stand in God's presence unless your sins are taken away. Let me tell you something. We don't want God to come down in all His glory because we'll be destroyed, every one of them. They were trembling in their boots. They told Moses, you go speak to Him and you tell us what He says. We can't take it anymore. Read it. It's in there. 
All right, when you get in God's presence, he says, they poured out water like a drink offering. They humbled themselves in the Lord's presence. So stay with me. Separation, worship, then the blessing you get in God's presence. It's always this way. You can see it right here in Scripture. You can see it in the tabernacle. You can see it in your Christian life. I've explained all of it, how this works. You do not start at the throne of God without going through the other parts. If you, let me tell you something. So many Christians are sitting there going, I can't, I, this is, I can barely get up in the morning. I really don't care. And that's why it requires work. But let me tell you something. You're in the presence today. You're hearing the prescription. You're hearing what you need to do. That's where the faith comes in. Are you going to do it God's way or are you going to turn aside? I like smoking weed too much. I can't put that away, right? I like, you know, going out on the weekends, having a good time. Hey, for the Christian, I like talking about people. And I, that's one I got to work on. Definitely. <laughs> right? Let me tell you something. If we knew what was inside of each one of us, it would be disgusting. And, and, that, and that, I'm, I am number one at that, believe me. If you knew what was in this head, you wouldn't like me. And we're all like that. You have to continually purge yourself. All right? Now, let's see. We're going on down to five and then six. When they gathered at Mizpah, they drew water, poured it out in the Lord's presence. They fasted that day, and there they confessed, We have sinned against the Lord. Here it is. And Samuel began to lead the Israelites at Mizpah. Now you're ready to do the work. You see what I'm saying? Now you're ready to serve the Lord. So many people do not go through the prescription and they want to serve the Lord and nothing happens. And then they come and they leave and everything stinks and they wonder why they go to church at all. Because you're doing it your way. Why does the church have zero influence on the world today? Because most of us do it our way we don't know the Bible, we don't know the prescription, and we don't follow it. And we don't care enough to get up and do something about it. Let me tell you something. If 80% of this nation was Christian, this world, we wouldn't have abortion. I hate abortion. I hate it. And let me tell you something. This week, it's sanctioned, sanctioned by this country. Sanctioned. It's legal. Okay? This week, the people that did the uh, abortion videos, guess who got in trouble? The people that turned them in. The people that were cutting up baby parts and selling them don't get in trouble. The people that exposed it are the ones that are in trouble. That's ridiculous. Let me tell you something, folks. How many of y'all like the Nazis? How many of y'all like the death camps? We're doing it in America right now. You're taking human body parts, chopping them up in pieces, and selling them to people. That's Nazi stuff. That's death camp stuff. It's happening in America. If this country was 80% Christian, that would not be happening. We'd be tearing down the walls. It's murder. And if there's a presidential candidate who will do that, who says it's okay, I am not voting for him. You can guarantee that. 
I don't care what he does. I don't care if he can fix the economy. I don't care if he can make it rain gold. If he is for abortion, he ain't getting my vote. Baloney. All right. Pull it back a little bit. All right. So now they're ready to leave. Okay. Separation. Worship. Blessing. Then it says Samuel. Samuel was appointed to lead them now. Guess what? They've got God's favor. God is on their side. The glory is starting to come back. Think about that. And all they had to do was do it God's way. And the glory starts to come back. Look what happens next. All right, Verse 7. When the Philistines heard that the Israelites had gathered at Mizpah, their rulers marched up towards Israel. When the Israelites heard about it, they... They were afraid because of the Philistines. The Israelites said to Samuel, Don't stop crying out to the Lord our God for us so that He will save us from the hand of the Philistines. Let me tell you something. That's exactly what Ken was talking about. Nobody can cry out to the Lord and get God to come on your side unless He's blessed. And He is not going to be blessed if He's not worshiping. Hello? And He's not going to be worshiping unless He's separated. Think about it. It all works together. It makes perfect sense. You're not going to have God's favor if you're not worshiping. So think about that when you're singing on Sunday morning. And, but it's not just that. Let me make it clear. It's not just your singing. It's your walk. It's your study in your Bible. It's your prayers. Worship, worship, worship. And then you cannot worship if you're not separated. This is one of Ken's favorite lines, and it's so true. God will not bless you in your junk. That's a fact. And it's proof right here in Scripture. All right, let's keep going. Then Samuel took a young lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord on behalf of Israel, and the Lord answered him. Hello? They got an answer. There are 20 years, nothing's happening. They're just bouncing around in darkness. And that's what so many of us do. We just, we don't know where we're going. We have no, God is not telling us anything. He's not leading us. We're just bouncing around in darkness. But now God is answering them. Samuel was offering the burnt offering as the Philistines drew near to fight against Israel. The Lord thundered loudly against the Philistines that day and threw them into such confusion that they fled before Israel. Then the men of Israel charged out of Mizpah, pursued the Philistines, striking them down all the way to the place below beth Car. There it is. If you want God on your side, if you want to do service, if you want to work in the church, if you want the church to mean something, if you want your life to mean something for God, then do it God's way. It's plain and simple. If you come here every week and you're not doing this stuff and you're ha- you know, doing God only knows what and wherever and whoever and then you come to church on Sunday, I'm telling you, nothing's going to happen. It ain't going to amount to a hill of beans. You're wasting your time. But if you want to get right with God, whether you're unsaved or even if you're a Christian, it's a continual work continual process either way and you've got to do it God's way and here's the thing 
God has not changed His program. The same way He did it for the Israelites is the same way He does it for us. Same way He did it for Adam and Eve, if you break down Adam and Eve. That's how He works through us. It's up to you to whatever you're going to do with it.